Coming up on episode 72 of the Keto Camp Podcast, we have keto influencer, Danny Vega. that list of non-negotiables for us it's like we're not going to touch grains we're not going to touch processed sugars we're not going to touch food dyes which leaves us with real food we start with our like baseline our cornerstone of our nutritional house is animal protein that is food everything else is decorations enjoyment and everything I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. What's up, Keto Camper? Hope you're doing amazing today. I'm excited to share my fellow Floridian with you, my brother, Danny Vega. Danny Vega's doing some great work out there in the keto carnivore community. Him and his wife, Maura, have put together a really cool brand, the Fat Fueled Family, and they're doing awesome work in the community. On, on this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, Danny and myself talk about keto for family keto for kids how to look at menus at a restaurant and decipher that for your children's health for the future of your family it's such an important message we talk about acceptable versus optimal how yes you can do keto and accept dirty keto and you might get into ketosis but will you get the results you want long term i don't think so we don't think so versus optimal keto and we're going to distinguish the difference between the two. Danny's gonna reveal the common keto mistakes he's seen. He's gonna share keto for fitness, how you can use the keto diet to build healthy muscle. He's gonna debunk a lot of keto myths that are being passed around out there, and so much more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Danny. He's based out of Florida, just like myself. And I can't wait to share them with you. Before I bring them on here, I want to thank you for listening to the Keto Camp Podcast. You know, out of all the podcasts out there, you chose this one, and we are truly grateful. Here at Keto Camp, we are on a mission to educate and inspire 1 billion people on planet Earth. So we are so grateful that you chose us today. If you're not subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button to this podcast. We release three brand new episodes every single week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Take a screenshot of this upcoming episode here with Danny Vega and tag me on Instagram. Upload it to your story, upload it to your Instagram page and tag me. My Instagram handle is at thebenazadi, that is T-H-E-B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I and tag Danny. His handle is at dannyvega.ms. I'll put a link for that in the notes of this podcast. I'll be sure to see that. I'll post it on my story. We'll get some other keto campers following you back. Use the hashtag KetoCamp or KetoCamper. We search that as well. This episode 
of the Keto Camp Podcast is sponsored by the world's healthiest oil, olive oil, but not all olive oils created equal. There is a big difference between quality, fresh, pressed, organic, extra virgin olive oil and most of the stuff you're gonna find in the supermarket. In fact, you could even say that it's organic, extra virgin, and all the cool marketing labels could be on that bottle, and it's not one of the good ones. Here's how you know. Take a tablespoon of it, drink it. Does it go down smooth? Hey, that's a sign that it's not one of the good ones. We want it to burn the throat, make the tongue a little fuzzy, maybe make you cough. That's a good sign that it is loaded with polyphenols. That's gonna bring down inflammation and let your fat burning hormones get into your cells so you could burn fat, so you could feel good, and you can maximize your keto results. I get my olive oil from only one source, and that is the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They handpick these olives from four different regions all across the world seasonally, fresh press them, put them on a jet, deliver them to my door. I get three bottles of the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club every single month. It is delicious. It burns the throat. It might even make you cough sometimes. It is hands down my favorite olive oil. And I worked out a deal with the good folks over at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club to get you a $39 bottle for one buck. Yes, $1. If you head over to KetoCampOliveOil.com, that's KetoCampOliveOil.com, you'll get a $39 bottle for a buck. So go claim that. Get your olive oil on. Cheers. Let's get into this episode now with Danny Vega. Danny Vega is an expert in strength, conditioning, and performance, and how to apply nutrition to optimize all of these. Danny has an MS in human performance from the University of Florida. Danny's passions include the ketogenic and carnivore diet, strength and conditioning, stoicism, libertarianism, and of course, raising his sons, Dean and Desmond, in a holistic way with his amazing wife, Maura. Danny Vega, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast, my brother. Thanks for having me, brother. Hey, it is my pleasure. I'm excited to chat with you and introduce your work to my audience, which I'm sure most of them are already familiar with you. And before we get into all the awesome things you're doing in Tampa, you're a fellow Floridian, let's talk a little bit about your history growing up. How did you get into keto? But before you even got into keto, tell us more about your backstory. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I am like you. I'm from Miami. I grew up in Kendall and uh, played football my whole life. I started playing football when I was nine years old. And by the time I was about 13 years old, I was I was skateboarding. I never told this part of the story, but it's kind of cool. I just remembered it. I was doing a lot of skateboarding. I was like starting to get looks from specific little companies for sponsorships and stuff. And I broke a board. And my coach at the time was, he was the head coach of the middle school team at Florida Christian because I had just, I I spent most of my life in public school. I got kicked out of Macmillan Junior High in seventh grade. I did something pretty bad physically. I I had to go through anger management. And uh, (laughs) uh, then I went to private school because then I wouldn't have had to fail. And so I was playing football over there. I was doing really well. And the coach basically gave me an ultimatum. He said, you know, football or skateboarding. And I was like, for me, it was just a night, you know, no brainer, like football all the way. And from that point, I could tell like when I was like 13, I was focused on football. My whole high school career was looking at, you know, college media guides, looking at like, how big do I have to get? How fast do I have to get? What do I got to do 
I was out there filming myself doing running drills with my best friend. I was I had a key to the to the weight room that the athletic director gave me so I could lift before school. And that, you know, focus and dedication started to get me looks from colleges. I was getting recruited like the big schools that were looking at me were like UCF, Missouri, Naval Academy, Rice, and Columbia University just popped out of nowhere because my quarterback sent game film to Columbia. And it just so happens that the person who recruits for the state of Florida for Columbia was the running backs coach. And I was a running back. You know, I was um, first team all county. I was the first leading rusher in Dade County out of all schools, 500 yards more than anybody around me. I I had 1,800 and something yards in like nine games because we lost a game because of a hurricane. And played college football, was always obsessed with lifting weights, with strength and conditioning. I was basically the teacher's pet in the weight room in college. My strength and conditioning coach was my one of my biggest mentors, Thomas McKinney. He was a big thrower at Virginia. He threw the hammer. He, you know, he, he went to a few trials. He was just too shredded. I just, I wanted to do what he did. You know, I loved what he was doing. And sophomore year, after my sophomore year, he left Columbia and he took the head strength and conditioning job at UNC as the UNC basketball strength coach. And then he spent a few years there and then he went on to the Timberwolves. He was a head strength coach for the Timberwolves for a while. And I remember that when I was an undergrad and he had left and I was getting close to graduating, I said, man, uh, I reached out to him. I'm like excited to tell him that I'm going to get into strength and conditioning. And he's like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> he was telling me not to do it. He, he, you know, cause he kept on having babies and you know, people don't understand like strength and conditioning is not just a weight room coach. You know, like when you're in a college atmosphere, you're doing like, for me, I was in charge of all their nutrition on the road. I was in charge of all of the recovery modalities, you know, the cold tank, the massage stuff, all that stuff. I was the dean of discipline. So if someone missed like a, a study hall or something, I would have to run these guys. So always really interested in strength and conditioning, always interested in nutrition. And after a few years at VCU, I, I kind of left the strength and conditioning game because I, I wanted to chase money, you know, and I was in Virginia. I wasn't making that much money. And I was like, if I ask for this much, it's not going to be enough. And if I ask for this much, it's still not going to be enough. And it's not realistic. So I had to make a decision. So I, I left strength and conditioning. I moved back to Miami, started doing pharmaceutical sales, and then got into medical device sales after a few years. And something happened. When I started CrossFit in 2013 or 2011, that kind of got me back into strength and conditioning. Like I started to like just get that urge again to, to get involved because I used to read something every day. I would spend an hour every day reading something new when I was like in it. And, um, and then fast forward to 2013, after a few years of CrossFit, you know, working really hard and just being so competitive. I got involved or I got try to get prepared for that open 2013. I was training twice a day sometimes. And me, who's a naturally big dude, I was down to like, at at my lowest, I got down to 195, which I looked emaciated, (laughs) hilarious. And I was working as hard as I could. And I still didn't make it to regionals. And, you know, I was, I was like number 150 out of 7,000, which, you know, it's a decent ranking, but, but it's not regionals. So I got into powerlifting in 2013, 
did that for three years, did very, very well with that. Um, first, I hit the top 50 in the country for the 220 weight class. Then I hit the top 25 in the country and was doing very well, hit some big numbers. And then in 2015, I tore my left meniscus at my meet where I deadlifted 700. I couldn't even take a third squat attempt because it hurt so much that I was like, you know what? I need to save something for the deadlift because I wanted to hit that 700 deadlift. So I did that, and then... You did the deadlift with a torn meniscus? Yeah, 700. <laughs> and it was easy, too. Like, uh, I'll send you the video if you want to post it, because it, yeah. it looked pretty easy. You know, meat day is just, there's a switch. You know, I would always, like, flip this switch, and I was just, like, zoned in on meat day. But I had to make a decision, like, in February of 2016, because my knee was hurting like crazy. I was prepping for another meet in March, which was a great meet that I had done the previous two years. And when I got my diagnosis, you know, torn meniscus, a bunch of other stuff, cartilage stuff, I was like, you know what? I'm going to pull out of this meat. I want to just get healthy. So I went on a diet and I, and I just did like a typical bodybuilding type diet. A friend of mine was a bodybuilder and a powerlifter. And, you know, he put my wife and I both on it. And we did well. Like we... For about two months, we started to get really lean out. And then we started with the carbs high and the fat was already like at 80 grams, like to start with. And by the end, my fat was like at 50 grams a day and my carbs were low too. And I was just miserable, man. Like it was three weekends in a row of binging. And it started with Memorial Day weekend. And my wife and I did three days of binging disgusting. And then the two weekends after, we kind of did the same thing. I, I was like, you know, something's got to give. And I had a friend of mine who was here in Tampa who was like, his name was Trevor. And Trevor was working at the lab at UT with Dr. Wilson and uh, Ryan Lowry, who's now Dr. Lowry. And he was like, man, you, you got to try keto. You look, look at these recipes. Look at all this food you can eat. And I was like, oh, man, get out of here. That's ridiculous, you know? No carbs. And kind of like, since I was already super lean, I just, my quality of life wasn't good. I was like, you know what? Let me try this out. You know, what do I have to lose? I already kind of hit my goal. Dude, I, I started keto in, on June 12th, 2016. I never forget it. And I, within two days, had lost all the lingering inflammation that I had, you know, from powerlifting. I, at the time, when we, when we moved to Tampa in 2014, we were renting a house for two years. Then we moved finally into a house in 2016. But I remember walking down those stairs every morning was like, I had to just take it slow, spend like an hour kind of lubricating the joints. Like I was like the tin man. And that was gone after two days. My, my hunger was better. My, my satiety was better. And, you know, when you think about it, it was the great, a great transition for me because I was already low carb, you know, at the end of a cut, even if you're on a high carb diet, that's what they do. They lower everything. So you're just like no carbs, no, no fat. And keto just changed everything. And I immediately got just all up in it. Like I reached out to my buddy Trevor and I was like, send me everything that you guys have, every published paper. He sent me like 41 published papers, gave me a few really good recommendations on books. I immediately read The Art and Science of Low Carb Performance by Dr. Finney and Dr. Volick. Remind me because it full circle. We'll talk about this later if you want. Dr. Volick and I are working on something now, which is really cool. Um, That's for awesome, that to come bro. Back full circle, yeah. Um, so August, by August, I was like two months into it, loving it. 
And I reached out to a guy who had a podcast at the time, Keto Evangelist, Brian. And I told him, hey, man, you know, my name's Danny Vega. Here's, you know, my background. If you ever do anything with athletes, let me know. And he said, well, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm actually starting a, a, an athlete podcast called The Ketogenic Athlete. And he's like, why don't you come on for an interview? So we came, I came on, we did an interview. And by the end of the interview, we, we got off the air and we spent another hour on the phone. He's like, you got to be my co-host. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so I come out of my office after this thing. And my wife already knows to expect this, this type of stuff from me. Because it's the same thing that happened at UF. When I walked into the gym at UF, I didn't know anybody. I was just like, hey, man, I played college football. I'm getting my master's here. I want to be on a fly on the wall. You know, I'll sweep. I'll do anything. Just let me learn. And that's how I got that, you know, chance. And the same thing happened with Brian. So he interviewed me. And by the end of the interview, asked me to be his co-host. Of course, I said, let me talk to my wife. <laughs> so I talked to my wife. And right there, she was like, yeah, go for it. And the rest is history, really, man. We did the, the podcast and just been learning so much. I've, I've most, mostly been focused on the performance side of things on keto, whether it's athletic performance. And more recently, in the past year and a half, I've been doing a lot with building muscle on keto, how to you know, optimize performance and building muscle on keto because you know, there are a lot of people that follow a ketogenic diet and they're, they're not eating any carbs, but they're treating their body as if they have access to all these carbs. And that's a big problem, especially with the training side, where you're asking your body to create all this sugar, and it's very stressful on the body. So lately, what I've been talking about is why people don't build muscle on a ketogenic diet, what they can do to build muscle on a ketogenic diet, and what they should avoid, and what the considerations are. So that's my long-winded ass answer of where I, you know, where I came from and where we are now. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love that story. It's, it's so exciting. I'm definitely going to ask you about what you're doing with Dr. Volek. I have it in my notes before we finish. But I want to know when you, so 2016 in June, you started your, your keto journey, your keto lifestyle. What were some of the mistakes that you made back then or, or throughout it that you could share with the audience that they, if they're thinking about starting the keto diet or they just started, they don't have to make that same mistake that you did? Yeah, so one of the things that I noticed that gets talked about a lot on a ketogenic diet is I love that we're going slowly, kind of like down the list of BS things and kind of picking those apart. But then there's also real life considerations, real life things that are true concerns that people should worry about. And one of them is this whole obsession with moderating protein. So everybody's talking about, you know, keto's getting to a point where there's enough information out there where people are like, yeah, I know what keto is. Yeah, it's about what, 70% fat, 25% protein, 5% carbs, something like that, or 75%, 20% protein, but don't eat too much protein because then it turns into sugar. And then, you know, and you know, these, there's these little things that kind of like get spread and it's like anything else, you know, well, they say, they say this, they say that. Most of the time, what they say is BS. But with protein, what I think is kind of important, especially in the beginning, the first three weeks, and Dominic Diagostino has spoken about this, you can't lower protein too much in the first three weeks because those first three weeks, Finney's spoken about it in specific papers where he's addressing concerns that people have with ketogenic diets. And he says very clearly as well, make sure that your protein is high those first three weeks because 
what you'll hear is, I'm losing muscle. I'm on a ketogenic diet, I'm losing muscle. And then keto guy comes up and says, no, you're not losing muscle. You're losing glycogen and your, your insulin's dropping. So you're pissing out all these electrolytes and water. And while that may be true, you could still be losing lean tissue, especially if you're a type A person who's still busting your butt in the gym, you know, without those carbs as you go through that fat adaptation process. So the first thing, keep protein high. If you want like a number to aim for, I would recommend one times lean body mass or higher. So let's say you're a 200 pound male with 10% body fat, that roughly puts you at 180 pounds of lean mass. So you would set your protein to 180. That's it. You know, make sure protein's high. For the first three weeks, you're saying? For those first three weeks. Now, you may find, and the three things that I talk about is lean body mass, activity level, and metabolic health. So if, you, if you're someone who's coming at this, and I do have a large population of my audience that is, you know, that performance crowd that's finally coming around saying, oh, maybe I should try keto. These people carry a lot of muscle. These people are insulin sensitive. Those people could afford to do body weight and protein, higher than body weight and protein. You know, I could eat 300, pounds, 300 grams of protein, wake up the next day, blood sugar's fine, ketones are fine. And the same thing could happen for carbs, which we can get into that later as well. So protein, keep it high in those first three weeks at least. You may find that you can go higher. If you have a good amount of lean body mass, you're, you're fine. If you have a good amount of activity or training hard, you're going to need more protein. And lastly, if you're insulin sensitive and you're not coming from this insulin resistance background and a few you know, indicators of insulin resistance is do you carry a lot of fat around the waist? Do you have skin tags? Do you have you know, energy issues, you know, lightheadedness, things like that, get standing up, sitting down. There's lots of things that you could look at that'll tell you, you know what, I, I probably still have some insulin resistance. Maybe I should just keep protein, you know, kind of moderate for now. I also will recommend two great resources that we could put in the show notes if you want. One of them is Ben Bickman's talk from Low Carb Breckenridge, like 2017, where he talks about the importance of glucagon and insulin in low carb diets and why high protein shouldn't be feared. And the other one is by Amy Berger. It's a great article, uh, Tuit Nutrition, T-U-I-T. If you look for everything you wanted to know and didn't want to know about gluconeogenesis, fantastic article. She's written actually some follow-up articles. So protein, super important. Salt, very important. A good high quality salt like Redmond Real Salt. I carry it with me at all times. I carry Redmond salt because the other thing that you know, we're known for is that we're always trying to optimize. And so one of the things that we talk about, which you talk about, you know, acceptable versus optimal. Yeah, you don't need this, but if you take this, it'll make things better. And one of them is salt. Start with aiming for like five to eight grams a day, knowing that five grams of salt is not five grams of sodium. You know, like, you know, a, a teaspoon of salt is going to give you, I don't know, two grams of sodium or something. So Sodium, aim for five to eight grams a day. When you get there, just like you would with your metabolism. So, like one of two things that I like to do is get people to a higher point, like a higher set point with their metabolism. So they have more to work with. So I try to get clients to eat as much as possible, especially women, because they're chronically under eating. And what what happens with women is that since they undereat so much and they're not doing lifting, they're doing lots of cardio they are all types of undernourished, you know, and that is going to 
you know, impede on fat loss. So one of my friends, Tara, just called uh, muscles calorie absorbers. And I think that's brilliant, you know, especially for women. Salt, get it as high as possible as well. You find that if you increase your calories, maybe your weight goes up for a few days, but then eventually you hit a new set point and you're able to eat 500 to 1,000 calories more a day and maintain your body weight. And the same thing goes for sodium. So you can bump up that sodium. You might see an initial weight increase, but now you're operating just so much better because you have a higher set point. Sodium's important. Magnesium and potassium are super important. I, I used to think potassium wasn't important only because of the fact that when I would cut my potassium intake, I wouldn't get cramps. But when I would cut my magnesium intake, I would. Turns out that it's not just cramps that we should be worrying about, especially with potassium. Potassium, as I've done my research on optimizing sleep, potassium is really good for minimizing like every, any overnight like muscle spasms and things like that that you may not feel, but it may contribute to you waking up in the middle of the night. Half the time when you wake up to pee, it's not because you have to pee. It's because you're awake. You know what I mean? So something is waking you up, whether you didn't stop eating uh, soon enough before bed or, you know, micronutrient deficiencies, um, other things like uh, minerals deficiencies like potassium. So keep your electrolytes high. Get a good magnesium supplement. I like to take 400 milligrams of magnesium glycinate in the morning. And then I take another 500 milligrams of magnesium three and eight at night with a little sleep stack that I have there. So those are the main things, setting expectations, realistic expectations. What helped me with my transition was that I was already like in a period that week where I was really busy. I was still working my day job. So when I started a ketogenic diet, my whole first week, I didn't work out. I was like, I got too much stuff at work and it actually was perfect because that week I was due for a deload. So what ended up happening is that week I didn't train at all. And then I just moved my deload to the next week. So now we're on week two and I'm training, but I'm still in a deload. So my volume is like cut in half. My weights are like 30% lower. And then week three was my first week. And although my workouts didn't suffer too much, I noticed that I was wiry, you know, like I didn't have that glycogen. I didn't have that pump. And no helped me manage my expectations. And within three months, I got my pumps back. I mean, I look at pictures of myself in 2014, 2015. There were times where I was massive because I was just eating so much. But in general, looking at myself now versus looking at myself before, there's no question. I look better. I didn't, I haven't lost muscle. In fact, I've continued to add muscle all these years in an environment where I'm not supposed to add muscle. I'm not supposed to add muscle when I'm doing intermittent fasting and there are times when my protein's super low, doing lots of walking, doing lots of cardio, rowing. These things are not supposed to happen. So for me, like that's even more of a testament to how powerful this ketogenic state could be when you do it right, that I'm adding muscle all the time. I'm seeing year over year adding muscle when I'm not even focusing on adding muscle. 
Yeah, exactly. And you, there was a lot there that you stated. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm long-winded. <laughs> no, it was it was awesome. It was it was so helpful because you've been in the trenches and you've seen the mistake. You've made some mistakes, and uh, there's a, a few things that I want to touch upon. Uh, the Benjamin Bickman talk that was fantastic. I actually, he's been on the Keto Camp podcast. Um, awesome. His, his episode's actually coming out Monday, but by the time everybody hears this, it'll be out already. And Dr. Ryan Lowry was on the Keto Camp podcast, and he's such an awesome guy, and he talked all about that. And um, you also said that you could eat about 300 grams of carbohydrates and get into keto the next day. Is that what you said? Well, I said protein. I haven't done carb experiments that high. The highest I've done where I was this summer, I was doing three months of a weekly scheduled carb up. So this was my first. It's taken me a year to get from where I was last summer, everything that I do is very like thought out. So it started with last summer, a 50 gram carbohydrate bolus after training. I was thinking, you know, that this may help with my recovery. I'm in a muscle building phase because I was writing the program and creating the program with Ben Pokolsky as we were helping our friend Derek Lunsford get ready for his Olympia last year. And the 50 grams post-workout was all I could mentally give myself. Like I was like, at that time, I was like, 50 grams, you know, this is the established keto rules. Who made them? People that weren't really considering athletes. You know, we're talking about for a typical person that's, you know, re relatively healthy, they could have 50 grams. One of the things that I love about uh, on a hypothesis paper that Volick has just written, kind of highlighting what, what we're working on, is that, you know, a fat-adapted athlete is going to be able to eat a lot more carbs. Now, just because you can eat a lot more carbs doesn't mean that you should. But if you train hard enough to necessitate those carbs, not only would I say that you can do it, I'll say that maybe you should do it, especially on certain days where you're training very glycolytic style. You don't want to cut yourself off from a whole style of training, which is what I usually advocate is like, if you're starting a ketogenic diet or you're on a ketogenic diet and trying to build muscle, you can't be doing mad drop sets and like, you know, having like short rest periods because you're basically, fat can create the sugar that we need, but even in fat adapted athletes, and we could talk about the faster study, how in the faster study, you saw these fat adapted athletes were training at a much higher intensity using fat as energy. But even at that point, there comes a point where you're, if you're chronically doing like that high glycolytic training, eventually fat's not going to be able to keep up and that's going to stress you out because your body is either going to create sugar from lean tissue, which is the last thing you want, or your cortisol is going to rise too high. So having some carbs on days like that will help. So I started with the 50 gram carb up post-workout last year. I had cravings the rest of the day because of it you know, because I just had these 50 grams of carbs. Granted, the other thing that, you know, Dr. Bickman talks about is this glucose intolerance that can come up over time with someone who's followed a ketogenic diet for years is our pancreases are not really working hard. You know, we're not kicking out massive amounts of insulin. They're short-lived, you know, transient responses to the protein we eat or other, you know, stimuli that we're putting into our bodies or, or our lifestyles. So when you think of that, you think of the fact that you can eat, like for me, I have to try to get some of that pancreatic function back with a carb up. So the first couple of weeks of 
the next experiment that I did, which was in January, where I did three days a week of 150 grams of carbs. That whole first week, my, I completely lost all blood sugar control. My blood sugar was all over the place. I couldn't predict, like I've always been able to predict, like postprandial, what's gonna, what am I gonna wake up with? But after a week, what I saw was that not only was my baseline lower than it was before I started doing carb up, so I started waking up with consistently lower blood sugar, not just on the days after I carved up, this was every day. So I brought back some of that metabolic flexibility in the other direction where now I'm able to use carbs when I want to, which I think is very important for an athlete. So fast forward to this summer, what I did this summer and what I plan to do after Carnivore 75 Hard, because I'm doing that right now, only 75 days of only meat. That includes yesterday. That includes uh, Thanksgiving. That includes Christmas, just meat and dairy. But what I will do is use carb ups when I need them and not just schedule them. Because I did that every week and I was doing 225 carbs and I was waking up the next day every single time I was in ketosis. There was not one time that I was out of ketosis. But I think the weekly didn't make sense because over time what I saw was there was like a tiny bit of inflammation every week that would go up. And my left shoulder after 12 weeks, I was like, man, I need to stop these carbs because I was getting a good little ump from it, you know, on those type of workouts. And it was also enjoyable because I got some volume back. Like I would do some some white rice that I cooked and cooled, organic white rice, organic, you know, sweet potato and other uh, starches. But every week was too much, you know? So it's, it goes back to why are you doing this? Everything should be done strategically and you shouldn't just do it because Danny said to do it or because someone else said to do it. Evaluate your situation, evaluate what you're doing with your training, your current goals, then see if you can do the carbs and, and then see if it makes sense. Yeah, right on. The, the, the point of the, the message here is that there's no cookie cutter approach to your health, especially keto. And you got to research, experiment, and there's going to be a different approach for every single person out there. What we're doing is we're sharing our truth, our experience, and we're giving you general ideas here for you to kind of experiment with. And we don't want you to believe everything we're saying. We want you to research it, try it out for yourself, and start putting the, the pieces to the puzzle together. And then you could synthesize what's working for you. That's the way you're going to get long-term results and not the results that are yo-yoing that most people get, most programs teach. Uh, so I love what I love what you shared, and thank you. And I want to talk about kids. You have two kids, and we take them to restaurants, even these healthy restaurants. And if you're not watching the video, I'm doing this in quotation marks: healthy restaurants. And they have a kids menu. And typically on a kids menu, you're gonna have mac and cheese. You're gonna have some chicken nuggets that were cooked in vegetable oils, and you have these toxic foods. So what do you do? How do you? live a healthy lifestyle. It doesn't even have to be keto, but how do you live a healthy lifestyle for your kids when you have these kid menus that are toxic foods available to us at a cheap price? Dude, it is, you know, I mean, you know this, you've seen my wife and I, this is one of our biggest pet peeves, man. Like this, we're doing our children such a disservice and it starts with breastfeeding. It starts all the way with breastfeeding. Now, listen to what I'm saying and then still realize that just because you didn't have that perfect start doesn't mean that, you know, you can't turn things around. But I have to start from the beginning because there are people that still haven't had kids. There are people who are pregnant. You know, if you are trying to conceive, start taking methylated B vitamins. You need to get those, that folate, that methylated folate, methylated B vitamins, especially methylated because, you know, at least 
a third to a, a quarter to a third of people have compromised methylation and you need all those vitamins to make sure that your baby has everything it needs to develop property. So you, you start with that. Then you make sure that you're eating a healthy diet while you're pregnant. Then you nursing is the way to go. I won't get too into to the details because I don't want to come off as like, you know, a jerk talking to women. It usually comes off much better when Maura's doing it because she went through it with both kids, you know, Weaned the first one, started weaning him after like a year and four months. The second one was two years and four months. So starting with that, for gut health, for populating the gut, for immune health, breastfeeding. And then nursing those babies to a point where when they they start to show interest in food, baby-led weaning, you know, cutting the food into strips, no pureeing. That's when you get texture aversions. So I'm just saying this because the more you do these things as you start raising your kid, the harder you're going to make it for yourself. Do not puree food, cut it into strips, um, whether it's a steak, whether it's, you know, uh, some type of fruit or vegetable, cut it into strips like a fry, and they will gnaw on it. They don't need teeth. They, it's great for them because they, the chewing and the gnawing starts to kick out all that saliva and all those enzymes and helps them break down the food then you get into the age where now it's time to go to a restaurant, right? So now you go to a restaurant, you're like, man, I really want to try some delicious Mediterranean food. Let's take them to the Greek restaurant. Go to the Greek restaurant and you see the damn kids menu with the, you know, the coloring pages and everything. And like you said, it's always mac and cheese. You look at it, it's all white stuff. It's all colorless stuff. And it's all very bland or sugary. And it's either sugar or sugar and grains, and this dumbs down our kids' palates. You're doing them such a disservice, especially when people say, oh, well, just let them live a little, okay? They're doing this as kids. What do you think is going to happen when they turn 18? They're just going to automatically, magically learn how to eat the right way? It doesn't work. So what we say is, how do you navigate it? The first thing you got to do is, if both parents are together, get them on the same page. So... Talk to your husband. Usually it's the wives and the, the women who are bringing new health information to the house, not only because, you know, they're always trying to be looking thin and stuff, but they're just usually the ones that we see that are like, oh, I heard this from so-and-so. I heard this for the kids. I heard this, whatever. So get the, the husbands on the same page because that's where you start from a common ground. And that's where you can say, all right, we're on the same page. How are we going to do this? Okay. The first thing is get rid of all the crap in the house. You have to have a list of non-negotiables, whether you're going to put your kids on a ketogenic diet or like a low-carb paleo diet, which is what we do with the kids, you know, which it basically means that they're pretty much probably always in ketosis, but we're not out here trying to maintain a level of ketones for them because, you know, they're both healthy kids. So when you have that list of non-negotiables for us, it's like we're not going to touch grains. We're not going to touch processed sugars. We're not going to touch food dyes, which leaves us with real food. We start with our like baseline, our cornerstone of our nutritional house is animal protein. That is food. Everything else is decorations, enjoyment, and everything. So when my son says, hey, can I have a snack? I'll say, yes, you have to have food first. Make sure that you have food first. And he knows when I say food, he's going to have to look in the fridge for like some leftover burgers or some rotisserie chicken, some, some actual meat, and then get rid of all the crap in the house. Absolutely. And when you go out, 
just plan. So usually what we do is either at home or while we're in the car, we're pulling up the menu of the place where we're going to and we're asking the kids what they want to eat because we don't want to have a meltdown in the restaurant and we give them like a few options. Hey, do you want to have this or do you want to have this? Now they got options, but they're options that we curated, you know? So those are super important things. The other thing is we mention all the time, don't fight your kids on nutrition. You know, the last thing you want to do, and my biggest fear is to end up with kids who have eating issues because I made them eat healthy, you know? So the most important thing is don't ask me what you can and can't eat. This is your body. So when they understand that they are in charge, they have the freedom, they are in charge of their own bodies, they can eat whatever they want. But if it's something that I don't like, I'm not going to pay for it. You know, so I'll give him the option if we're out somewhere and he wants to eat something, if he wants to buy it, he can. He never has his freaking wallet. So chances are he's not going to do it. <laughs> and half the time he's saving up for something that he actually cares about. So it kind of like helps him prioritize. Do I really want that immediate gratification of this crappy little, you know, bar or lollipop or whatever it is? Or should I just, you know, save and, and get what I love? So we do that. And then, you know, Halloween, last night was Halloween. Desmond is such a pro at this already. He's eight years old. He filled up his bucket. He took three candies. And mind you, I promise you, this was not our idea. Like we, I guess because he's heard us talk about it so much, he was like proactive with it. So he's like, Papi, I'm going to pick out three candies and then I'm going to set all of the rest of them apart. And he already knows the drill. He knows that I look at that pile and I give that a number, right? So I was like, that's worth 20 bucks. So I took all that candy and threw it out and I paid him 20 bucks. He got a mini Snickers, a full-size Snickers, which shout out to the parents who were giving full-size Snickers and a pack of Skittles. And that was it. And of course, Dean, he went ham on the candy last night, but whatever, he's five years old and but that's important, right? Like keeping that autonomy so that these kids can learn and have conversations and you continue to teach them and use those moments when they slip up and they feel like crap to remind them it's okay. You know, use this as a learning opportunity. The next time you're presented with this choice, don't choose the way you chose, you know? So that's, that's kind of like in a nutshell, how I would approach doing with the family. Obviously there's lots of stuff we do every day and that's like part of our, our platform is to show people how this looks practically speaking, you know, like how do you integrate all these things into a lifestyle and make it look effortless? Cause really that's, it's effortless for us. These kids are, kids are so resilient, man. It's the freaking parents. Parents are like, what about my baby? Or, or like, they feel like these kids are going to miss out. I guarantee you, if you throw out the trash from your house, your child will not starve. Your child might, pretend they're starving and they might not eat for a day or two, but I guarantee you on day three, they're going to crush the food in the house. They're going to actually eat. And I think it's good for kids to feel hunger. Kids don't feel hunger nowadays. You know, the average child is eating 11 meals a day. If you count all the candy, the snacks, the orange juice, all the juices, and that's terrible. It's like this constant heightened state, high insulin state, high stress state, these kids are in a state of emergency at all times, and then they're being told to sit down and learn. It's just, you're setting them up for failure, you know? So 
Yeah, it's my little soapbox. <laughs> yeah, dude, that was so helpful, Danny, especially for parents. Uh, I got a lot from that. I don't have I don't have kids yet, but definitely I love the the point about when you're driving to the restaurant and looking at the menu, you're curating it and having them select it right then and there. And then you're teaching them, you know, the value of good nutrition and eating a meal and not just letting them mindlessly snack. The fact of the matter is this, when we're born into this world and if we were breastfed, we were burning fat. We were actually producing ketones. Burning fat is our birthright. And what happens and what is happening and why there are so many sick people out there is that we take a baby who is a natural fat burner and then we wean him off. We put him on this instant sugary formula and we have him snack 11 times a day, like you said. All of a sudden, they're a sugar burner and they're insulin resistant. And we go from adult onset diabetes to change in a name to type 2 diabetes because children are getting it. And we have this epidemic of obesity. We have this epidemic of diabetes. And we're wondering, I wonder why this is happening. Well, it starts with kids. It starts with our youth. And what you just said is so important to educate the people because I don't know if you know this, but my story, I was obese for most of my life and I was a sugar burner and I was somebody who had to actually take control over my health because my parents did the best they can with what they had. They immigrated here, but they didn't have that knowledge. They didn't have the tools that you have for your kids. So I love what you're doing for your children and anybody who's a parent on here listening to this. I hope that was helpful for you because it's so powerful what Danny just shared. And I just want to acknowledge what you're doing for your family. I think it's amazing, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Yeah, that's, and it's awesome because then these kids, they're out there teaching other kids, you know, like Desmond, <laughs> I got to tell this story because it's hilarious. So Desmond, this girl walks up to him because we homeschool, but we have a homeschool co-op. So he's already told this story a few times and like, he's getting good at it, you know? So we had friends over last night and he's like, so guess what happened the other day? I was like, oh, he's going to tell the story about the girl. So this girl walks up to him, you know, they have their lunch boxes there and they're like, you know, I guess he's minding his own business. And she comes up to him and she's like, first of all, this is her, her lunchbox. It's peanut butter and jelly sandwich, some sort of crackers and literally cake. And Desmond, I'm like, I don't even got to ask what Desmond is because I know that Mauda arranged that, you know, like that's a flawless lunch. It's going to be, it was like pesto chicken, maybe some like almond flour crackers and maybe grapes or something like, I think that's what he said. So she says, you know, your plate is not healthy. And I, I honestly don't know how of all the things that he would have taken, how that one would be considered not healthy. Cause at least even the chicken has green stuff on it, you know, like it's straight up pesto chicken. So he's like, he's like, you know what she had for lunch? He was like peanut butter and jelly. And I forgot the crackers. And he's like, and cake, literally cake. Like he's telling this story. And like, so when you have these conversations with them, now they get it. And that helps with, belief in something you know that belief is super important for compliance because when you're connecting why you're doing something with the outcome and it's just it's been super helpful for me and my wife you know as we've recovered from addictions anybody who understands like turning things around you have to believe in what you're doing and, and that's why the conversations are so important and that's also why Desmond is kind of like you know outspoken I gotta tell him hey you gotta chill you know, because it, he's at Lifetime Fitness at the kids club and they're doing like nutrition classes and they're like, can somebody name a healthy grain? And then, you know, Desmond raised his hand. He's like, there's no such thing as a healthy grain. I'm like, dude, you got to chill. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> you got to chill, man. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. 
Danny, I got three final questions for you. Uh, before I get to them, real quick, uh, share what you're doing with Dr. Volk. I, I want to hear about that and share with the audience. So anybody who's been following me is probably aware that I've been really digging into this, the UCAN super starch like research. And, you know, I've, I've done my own experiments. So UCAN super starch is a carbohydrate, period. It's a carbohydrate supplement. So everybody, let's, you know, let our buttholes loosen up from puckering because I know everybody got a little bit tight there for a second. Loosen up, chill. And I'll tell you, 2016, I found out about this product. Like, and I watched Peter Atia's Introduction to Superstarch, which is a fantastic lecture on the evolution of carb supplements. And I thought, man, this is really smart stuff. Like, this is actually a carb supplement that burns like a fat. It doesn't increase insulin. It doesn't increase blood sugar. You're actually getting the glycogen you need without any of those negative downstream effects. But I still sat on it, dude, because I had this thing in my mind because tracking Danny was like, I'm going to have to track that 22 grams of carbohydrates and I'm going to have to put that in my, you know, carb count. And that bothers me. And that was just so weird. You know, like when you think about the fact, like what I've been talking about, that athletes can handle more carbs and probably should have more carbs than someone who's trying to treat epilepsy or someone who has a brain disorder, a neurological disorder, diabetes, but it still kind of gets lost. And so I started experimenting with it. I started taking a pre-workout. Then I did an experiment. It was a three-week experiment with six other influencers that like are friends of mine. Goody Beats did it. A few other friends of mine, Dr. Fit and Fabulous. Some people with some decent-sized followings. And all of us had been following a ketogenic diet for over two years. I gave them the ketogenic muscle intelligence program. We all did the same program. We did fasted blood sugar and blood ketones baseline before workout blood sugar and blood ketones right before we took our uh, scoop of UCAN and then we would train and then we would get 30 minutes after our workout another reading and all of us had similar results our blood sugar didn't go crazy our ketones didn't change at all there were guys that you know they're fat adapted so they're walking around at 0.2 all the time which is totally fine when it comes to like ketones because a lot of us, once we get fat adapted, if you look at the Verta study, for example, over two years, they saw an increase in ketones. And then after the first year, the ketones went down. And that's good. That probably means that you're, you're, they're not floating around in your blood and they're, they're doing work somewhere. They're providing energy somewhere. And so the, the folks at UCAN, I started to get more involved with them. And I eventually now just signed a consulting deal with them where I'm going to be kind of spreading this message about, you know, smart supplementation for the fat adapted athlete and i have to i'm I'm just really proud that i'm the one who's going to help them dispel these myths and educate athletes on using superstarch and of course dr volick has been an advisor for them forever like the the trials that they've done in the past where they've compared superstarch to like other carb supplements where they show the insulin doesn't rise the blood sugar that was you know one of them was him so what he did is I sent him all the information from this experiment, and he wrote a hypothesis paper called Superstarch for the Fat Adapted Athlete, which we'll be sharing in the next week or so. It's a great white paper talking about, number one, this evolution of people learning that carbs can be dangerous and harmful for metabolic health, and then moving past that to the fat adapted athlete, how specific carbs could work well 
And he's got some really good information in that white paper, in that hypothesis paper on superstarch. And he, he's taken our stuff and he's put them into graphs. It's just, I'm super excited because this guy, him and Finney are like my heroes, you know, like these guys are the OGs. So that's pretty much what we're doing. That's really cool. I can't wait to read that. And uh, we'll put that by the time this podcast episode comes out, that'll be out. So we'll put that we'll have Rachel to put that in the notes. So very cool, man. Congratulations. That's so awesome, brother. I'm proud of you. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about it, man. Uh, Okay, three final questions for you, Danny. What are you most excited about right now? It might have been what you just shared, but what's the most exciting thing that you're working on? Let's see, the most exciting thing that I'm working on. I think the, like overall, the most exciting thing is, is Keto Muscle Intelligence because, you know, this was a program that, number one, it's first of its kind, you know, teaching people how to train on a ketogenic diet and what are the considerations, what to look for, what are, we, we spent so much time to put you, like give you an idea, we, we finished writing the program like in August, September of 2018, and we didn't release it until July of 2019 because we recorded like 30 or so frequently asked question videos talking about like, what if this happens? How do I, how do I change it? Like situations where you should increase protein, situations where you should employ certain counter stress measures and things to look for, HRV, you know, heart rate variability tracking, all these things we talk about integrating them so that you know, you're not this two-dimensional thing. There's bio-individuality with every person and giving these people the right tools so that every time they hit a roadblock, it's not like, ah, damn it, keto doesn't work. You know, like, no, it does. You got to make it work for you. And sometimes that means, you know, employing a carb up or, you know, taking some time off, you know, in the long run, it helps. So the demonstration videos are also super important because the other thing that Ben is big on is standardizing the stimulus. Everybody's talking about, you know, what's the best exercise to build your pecs? What's that? That doesn't make sense at all because we all have different anatomies. And if you look at, and you look at each muscle and the way it functions, you will see that there's individual like variations in, in my chest versus your chest. Like I can't do a 45 degree incline. That'll be too much for me. I'll be doing shoulders. Specific things like that, you know, execution of an exercise, trying to make every single rep look exactly the same before you start adding a drop set or adding weight, because that is what, you know, more is not better. Better is better. So standardizing the stimulus, initiating the movement. So how do we get a good muscle, a quality muscle contraction at every length of the contraction? So one of the things I talk about, especially when I do a, a, a talk on this, is like, you know, when I'm doing like a chest fly or something, it's easy to contract it in that shortened position. Like I can flex the muscle. How do I get a contraction at this lengthened position? And it almost always comes down to how do you initiate the actual exercise? So we like talk about how to initiate an exercise properly so you get a, a peak contraction in the lengthened portion of your VMO. So like, you know, you know, that little teardrop in your quad, you know, it's really hard to only get that good contraction if you're only focusing on the shortened portion. How do you get it on the lengthened portion? Because that's when you have the maximum stretch on that little muscle. So those are the things because we'll do camps, we'll do seminars, we'll continue to put out like we have a week, a monthly programming option. So people get the program, they learn all about the stuff, they get access to the website with all the videos and the the Facebook, but then ongoing, 
they have a chance to get meal plans from me. They have a chance to get ongoing programming. And that's really cool because every month we kind of go back and forth. So Ben will write the program one month. I'll write the program one month. So I love it because not only are they getting like kind of great programs every single month, but I'm getting them too, you know, because I'm writing them and Ben's writing them. And it's just like that targeted, you know, spending that time creating an awesome program. And then eventually I would love to do like a certification so that we can start hiring coaches and know that like if you live in Los Angeles and you want a coach that's going to give you the principles and the philosophies that we have in Keto Muscle Intelligence, you can go find this guy, you know, so that's the most exciting thing for sure. Because I want to be, when it comes to keto performance and building muscle, I'll be honest, the authority, I want to be the guy, you know, when it comes in the world. So um, that's my aspirations, and that's what kind of drives me the most now. I love that. Where can they go to look at the details of your program? So they can go to go.muscleintelligence.com slash keto. It's a, it's a mouthful. They can also go to go.muscleintelligence.com and then go to programs, and they'll find the keto program. But if they go to that one URL, that's where they'll get a free document that, that kind of gets them started and helps them learn. Why am I not building muscle? So I put the top five reasons why you may not be building muscle on a ketogenic diet. Now, when you go and you get that, um, that document, you'll be signed up on our email list. So you'll get emails from me, from Ben, where we talk about like weekly tips. We, we go into the mindset portion. We talk about integrity. We talk about, you know, different things that are, you know, optimizing someone 360 degrees, not just building muscle. Yeah. So go.muscleintelligence.com slash keto. Awesome. We'll put that in the notes. Go check that out, Keto Campers. All right, next question. Two final questions. What are you grateful for today, Danny? Oh, man. I am grateful that my son is just got such a good head on his shoulders. Like, he woke up this morning. He, 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 you know, he just looked like he was glowing, you know, and he, he made that decision not to eat a ton of candy. And I'm proud of him for that, man. So I, I think that's the first thing that came to mind for grateful, for gratitude. Beautiful. I love it. And last question for you is what's your definition of perfect health? Perfect health. That's a really good question because doctors nowadays, you walk into a doctor's office and you may be obese. You may show signs of like autoimmune issues. You may have some rosacea. You may have all this other stuff going on. You go in there, they show you your blood work, which you had to go to the office for them to show you because they hold that over you like a, like, you know, a hostage because they want to bill you for that extra visit. And they go in there and your blood sugar is normal because you could be insulin resistant for up to 15, 20 years before your blood sugar starts going up. So, Hey, your blood sugar, your A1C is normal. You're at a 5.2, 5.0 decent. You don't really have, you know, hyperglycemia. Okay. Check your HDL is decent. It's 45. Your LDL is not too high. Congratulations, slap them on the back and say, great job. And they walk away, you know, and it's such a cop out because there's so many people that unfortunately all they want to do is get that okay. But like if they were really to examine, are they really healthy? They'd know. I feel like crap. No, it's not aging. No, it's not hormones. No, it's not because you're a woman and all this crap. It's literally the food that you put in your body. And so for me, perfect health would mean that you are, number one, focusing on 
traditionally prepared ancestral foods, including the whole animal, eating the whole animal. And so that's basically what humans have either adapted to eat, were designed to eat, however you want to put it. There's a diet that is optimal for us. We are very resilient creatures. We can do stupid things like eating only vegetables for like years on end and we can survive. It's unbelievable. But in reality, it's not optimal. And so optimal would be having your nutrition taken care of, having a mindfulness practice where you're doing some sort of meditation, maybe even yoga, some walking, some breathing, uh, a well-established stress management routine, movement, you know, whether it's lifting, constant movement, not just sitting, try to stand as much as possible, walk as much as possible, and relationships, you know, like perfect health includes, you know, having, cultivating good quality relationships with the people that are going to make you better, that are going to challenge you, that are not going to, you know, that are going to call you on your BS. And that to me is perfect health because now, you know, instead of worrying about your LDL and your total cholesterol, you're like, well, my waist is small. I'm lean. I could run like a bear, you know, and I feel awesome. And who cares if my LDL is high? Because like I'm one of those people, you know, I have all my cholesterol is like 290. My triglycerides are low and my HDL is low. So that's if, if I had to boil it down, I would say to make it focus on the way you feel and on markers that matter versus only looking at a blood test because that's not that's not perfect health. Awesome, bro. I love that answer. Dude, I want to acknowledge you, Danny, for being an example for your family and also for your community and for the world and the work that you're doing. You've got an awesome attitude, and that's what really resonated with me. You're no doubt very intelligent, but I think more important than that is your attitude and your enthusiasm and your zest for life, and you're very accessible. You're very, all you want to do is share and help people, and I see that from you. So I want to acknowledge you for spending part of your time with me on the podcast. I really enjoyed it, and thank you so much, brother. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much, man. It's very motivating to hear that feedback. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Danny Vega. Be sure to check out the notes and the resources of this podcast. We have our professional notes expert, Rachel, who puts it all together for you. So check out those notes. Check out Danny Vega and the amazing work that he's doing. Follow him on Instagram. Go follow his programs. Enroll. Learn about this amazing information that could make a big difference for you and your family. If you enjoyed this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, please take a few seconds right now to leave it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a big difference for the show and it helps the algorithm show the podcast to more people and you never know whose hands this podcast could get into because of your review. You could save a life. You could save many lives just by taking a few seconds here to leave a rating and review. So I want to thank you if you did that. If you want to get a free 12-page ebook to teach you how to do keto and fasting the right way, head over to ketokickstartguide.com. Learn about the way I teach keto and fasting. Claim that book. You'll get a meal plan in there and it's 100% free over at ketokickstartguide.com. If you'd like help putting all of this information together and you'd like health coaching from me and you want to be a part of an amazing community, the Keto Camp Academy is where it's at. With your Keto Camp Academy membership, you will receive 100 plus videos designed to teach you how to master keto, how to master fasting, whether you are a complete beginner 
or a seasoned vet. We have sections in the academy on sleep, fitness, performance, how to never get sick ever again, how to travel and be bulletproof, how to work on your mental six-pack, and so much more. You also get over $600 worth in keto meal plans, keto grocery shopping lists. You get all my books and a monthly health coaching call from me. To learn more about the Keto Camp Academy, head over to ketocampacademy.com. Try us out for seven days and experience what it's like to be a member in this amazing exclusive group. Thanks so much for listening to this entire episode. Be sure to tag me on Instagram, tag Danny on Instagram, and you'll hear me on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Azadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.